Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, everyone. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. We're so happy that you're here. If it's your very, very first week ever, we uh, we moved through the scriptures. This year, we're moving through the Old Testament. We're at the, the Book of Twelve, the last, what they call the minor prophets, because of how much they wrote, not because of their significance, how by the little, way. How little they wrote? I mean, yeah, how little they wrote. Like the amount is what I meant to say by that. Even though last week we had two of the minor prophets and we said more than they probably said. I know. You guys, last week for some reason, it was an hour and 20 minutes long. And it was all so good. Like I laid in my bed after we recorded it and I was like, what should we take out? And then nothing. So... You might have had to watch that one in two segments. It was that much good stuff. Yeah. So to balance that out, today we are looking at the smallest book in the whole Old (laughs) Testament. So hopefully that works out really good. If you want a list of all the Book of Twelve and kind of their theme of each of those chapters of these 12 prophets, um, some people call them the writing prophets, which I think is so interesting that they just took time to write down exactly what they wanted to say. On the very last tip-in that you'll put in from the Old Testament, it has a list of all of the prophets and just a little bit of the themes of each of their books because you maybe just want to know, like, what what was the message or kind of the way we label a conference talk, um, you'll find all of those labeled here so you have some idea. Yeah, speaking of tip-ins, don't worry. I'm not going to talk about everything because we know there's some people (laughs) who don't want to hear anything about any of the study tools that we make on here. And then meanwhile, we get so many emails from those of you who do want to know about the study tools for the New Testament. Our compromises. Yeah, that we talked about on that one video. Thank you for your patience on it, on Lamentations. Sorry, if you want to know about them, it's Lamentations. You can see a show and tell of the journal, the devotional book, the posters, the tip-ins, the stickers, all on that video. You can go back there and look at it. Um, All those are available at um, DesertBook.com. By the time this comes out, or at the store, Desert Book, by the time this comes out, maybe the journals will be printed. We don't know. Right now, they're on pre-order. We have to start early because they sell out really quick and we want to make sure you get them. But um, yeah, so go back and look at that if you want those. Let's bust out the and, timeline. And the magnets, if you're looking for the magnets, that's our number one email we're getting right now. We're putting the link on the YouTube, um, right underneath YouTube or in our newsletter. Every single week, everything you need to know is there. Okay, I thought I sat on Obadiah. <laughs> so I was just looking to see if he was taped to my bum. Okay, we have two prophets today, Amos, and he is going right here. In this little spot here above Hosea. So put him there. And then Obadiah we have put over in this land of the many prophets. And let's right talk here. about Amos just for a second so people know why he's here. But could have been here also. Yeah, because he could have lived here in the southern kingdom. But talks a lot about the northern kingdom. He also will talk about the southern kingdom also. But the majority of his emphasis is toward the northern kingdom. So uh, you'll see some evidence in there where maybe he was up here, maybe not. We'll talk about this conversation he has with the king. So most of his words are directed toward 
the them. northern kingdom. And so kingdom. we put him up here because this is who he's mostly talking to. Yeah. But, you know, there's problems are so much the same as each other that you kind of read it and you're like, yeah, they could they could overlap and yep. it could have easily been one or the other. Yep. Um, that book of Amos starts out really interesting. And I drew, like, if you're watching on um, the podcast, wait. Isn't that not confusing? <laughs> if you're listening, you won't see this drawing on the board, but I'll kind of describe it so you can kind of imagine. Amos chapter 1 is starts off with Amos, this prophet, kind of um, calling out all of these um, neighboring nations. And so you'll look in Amos chapter 1 and you'll see like some names you'll recognize and some um, you won't, but he'll kind of just start talking to them in these different places. And he, and he calls out some of the injustice and some of the harsh things that they're doing in each of these neighboring nations. It's another reminder that um, God calls prophets not just to the covenant people, but he calls a prophet to the world. Yeah. Um, and he speaks up against what's happening in, in all of these other places. And we've said this before on here, but every time I read, I just want to always emphasize when it talks about the Lord, you know, particularly the covenant people, and he's like, you've turned your, your back on me. They're not just converting to another religion. Like the pra- he's, he's calling out their practices. And their practices are they're harsh and they're and they're cruel yeah. and they're so and and they're murderous and adulterous and, and so they're not like it's not an issue of you know they're practicing non religion yeah yeah and yeah. it's not only non religion it's like the very opposite the very opposite of the covenant yeah the covenant moral which is conduct. so interesting because he so badly wants to invite them into the covenant and they don't just reject God but they also reject the covenant and covenant living yeah. at the same time. So as he's moving around, so uh, there's a circle of X's up on the board and then an X in the middle because if you were to look at a map, the different places that he's going, he makes a circle of these nations that go all around um, Israel and Judah. Remember, there's two nations within the country of Israel today, those borderlands, um, but they're a split kingdom, remember? So he goes do do do, kind of all around and then he's going to zero in on on them. And there's a lot of thought about why he's he does this. And one of my thoughts when I read this is, you can almost imagine the people of Israel and Judah, as Amos calls out the sins of these neighboring nations, yeah. just being like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Almost that, that um, idea that sometimes comes to other people's minds and not to mine. Um, when yeah, it's you so hear interesting. A conference. conference talk, yes. and you're like, I know who to send this to, <laughs> you know, or you're like, like if you get excited, you if you get that. excited about a talk, that you're just like, oh, I hope she's listening um, to this, and so it's almost this like, which reveals it reveals, by the way, um, a part of me I should not have revealed on YouTube, um, but it also reveals um, one of the job hazards of the covenant people, and it is to think. That because I'm a part of the covenant people, that that I'm all good, right? Yeah. That it's just like, and there's a there's always a job hazard with covenant people of noticing the faults of everyone of, else of, of everybody else. And so in chapter two, once he goes boop, 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 all around, he kind of zeroes in on Judah and Israel, and he says, essentially, um, you are no different than all of these other nations. I brought you into this place to be in the middle of the ancient world 
to influence the rest of the nations, and instead they influenced you. And the same consequences that will come to any of those nations are going to come to you also, right? You, you aren't ex- immune, immune yeah. from the consequences of wild and ruckus living just because you have the right name or you're part of the right whatever. Yeah. Um, he's like, that, I, I don't, that doesn't matter to me. And, and I do love that he, as he points out everything toward, um, to them, he is going to mention here in verse 2, and we'll come back to this idea, I think, where in you mean verse chapter 10. Two. I'm sorry, sorry, He's sorry. in chapter 2 of Amos. Yeah, chapter 2 is where he zeroes in on, on Israel and mentions some of their, their problems. Uh, P.S., if you look in verse 6, you get an idea of what I was talking about. It's like, you, you sold righteousness for silver and the poor for a pair of shoes. Which is so haunting. Yes, where he's just like, you cared more about shoes than you cared about people. That's where, you're, that's where they're at. And now do you want to go look in your closet and count how many shoes you have? Don't do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> just wondering. I know. I don't want to hear about that. Um, and then in verse 10, he says, I have to remind you, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and I led you for 40 years in the wilderness to, to possess this land and almost like reminding them, you once were the oppressed. You once were begging for food on your dinner table. You once were enslaved by this other nation. Yeah. And I called you to be different. I, re- I set you free. You know what it's like to be the underdog. And now the oppressed has become the oppressor. And, and, he's, and he's leaning a little bit more heavy into them because he's just like, you should know you better. You should know better. And I called you to something different. And I gave you what I gave you so that you could be a relief and a blessing to the world, not to oppress them, not to take advantage of them. And it's so interesting because like in looking back to that time when we, if you ask anyone, it feels like in the whole world, who was the prophet of the children of Israel when they wandered through the wilderness? Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Oh my heck. (laughs) Moses. Um, Because it was that significant, right? It was that significant. They were like, this was a people who followed the prophet and everybody knows who it is. That might not be true um, all the time. Like you could say other significant events and be like, who was the prophet who said this should happen? Who, you know, whatever, all these things. But it is not hard to be like, who was the prophet of the people when they walked through the wilderness and how important that prophet was to them. And then it, it, they've turned. They're going to have changed completely from not needing that prophet, that counsel, that direction, uh, that God walking with you. It's almost like they were like, well, we, we don't actually need that anymore because we're doing fine. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's just a reminder. I love when he keeps coming back to that, to remind them of what their identity is and to, and, and, and to emphasize and say, a, a people who were the recipients of miraculous rescue mm. and radical grace should not be acting like this. Recenter yourself on what God has done for you. And that in turn is going to change the way that you act. So isn't that neat? He's calling yeah. them out, but the solution that he's kind of giving there is remember what God's done for you. Yeah. And that should kind yeah, of. Yeah. And the importance and that should help you with your life. I love when he says just straight down from there in verse 12, 
um, you're now you're currently commanding the prophets saying, prophesy not, right? We don't need you anymore. We don't want you in this story. We're fine. Yeah. We're doing fine. Yeah. Now. Um, chapter three has this verse in it that's so um, really well known and is quoted a lot. And and again, the beginning of that chapter is a reminder of, of who they are. And and then he gives this line where he says in verse seven, surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto the servants, the, the prophets. There's a lot of little questions leading up to that that are like really, really obvious questions. And it kind of leads to this idea of just like, there's an obvious problem. So God is going to send a prophet. He is not going to just turn a blind eye to, to what you're doing to yourselves. And he's going to send this prophet in to, to reveal um, what it is I want him to reveal, like wh- what you haven't known. And Amos's name, we have this in the journal, a spot to put what each of their, the prophet's names are and how that kind of adds to the significance of the story. Amos's name means um, burden. And I really love that his name means that. Um, that's sad, number one, that his name <laughs> means that. Hey, burden. <laughs> um, but it, it makes you think about the fact of what, what a burden it is to be called as a prophet, to be called as someone who who's, will speak up. Right. And well, and especially to a people that have actually made known they don't want, we don't want or need you. Right. And there's this little scene that happens in Amos chapter seven that is so tender to me when I read it. And and it's an exchange between um, Amos and this priest whose name is Amaziah. So in Amos chapter seven, starting in 10, Amaziah says to the king, there's this guy, Amos, and he is conspired against you and against the whole house of Israel. And, and we hate what he has to say. And he says, you're going to die and everyone's going to be taken away captive into Israel and, and Amaziah says to Amos, O seer, this is verse 12, go, flee thee away into the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there. <laughs> go say this to somebody else, but don't prophesy against us anymore. And then 14, I love this response so much. Amos answers and says to Amaziah, I was not a prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I was following the flock one day and said, go prophesy unto my people, Israel. And I just love the humanity in that verse of a man who just says, I was fine picking figs. I was fine leading sheep. And I would have done that. I had no intention of being a prophet. We weren't like a family that grew up like aspiring to be something like this. I was just doing my normal, regular life. And the Lord came to me one, one day and said, um, Amos, I, I choose you to do this. And we've talked about this on here before, but just what this is the, we're, we're you know, with this book of 12, comparing them to, you know, uh, yeah, our modern today. leaders and prophets that we have. And I, and I go through that, you know, the general conference talks and look at all their pictures on there and every single one of them, every single person would have said like, I didn't want to stand at that pulpit and, 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 and give that talk. I didn't want to, I, I wasn't like, yeah, there wasn't my their life, life Yeah. Their, the pursuit of their life was actually a great sacrifice to become something that wasn't what they are. Right. They paid for medical school. They went through and got law degrees. 
Um, they were professors and like where they put their time and the plan that they had for their life looked drastically different than the plan they're currently living out. And I, I think it's so interesting that they didn't walk away from nothing. I don't know what to do with my life. I, I wonder what I should do. Maybe I should speak at general conference. That's not yeah. what happened. They were like pursuing dreams. Yeah. And and it cost sacrifice to get on the path that they were pursuing. Great sacrifice. And to have someone come in the middle of that plan and say, you're actually going to go a different direction. I think if we forget how hard it might be to set aside your nets and follow him. Yeah. And do the hard thing and say the hard words and look at the situation and try and lift. Like in my mind, I look at those men and think that is sacrifice, first of all, but it is a great service. And how do I treat people who serve me well? And I just think it's so important and powerful before, you know, I consider their words to consider that part of their situation, mm. you know, to cons- what's the intent of, of this. And it's, it's great to like, just sit back and let's even have a conversation this morning because I got, you know, I read another mean comment that came mm-hmm. in and, and Jenny was like, are you reading comments again? <laughs> I was like, well, I'm just, you know, I just want to see what, you know, mm-hmm. what's happening and stuff like that. And, and I just kind of said, I was like, ah, just so you know, you kind of have to have thick skin if you're going to, if you're going to have a podcast. And, and then I think to myself, well, I'm the one who pushes record. I'm the one who actually stands and stands right here in front of the microphone and the camera. And, and I don't get near the amount of criticism and backlash that, you know, the leaders and, and the, and the prophets get, and they didn't choose it. They, you know, they, yes. I didn't choose this. I wanted to be a herdsman. And, and I love that example of seeing someone who said, I love the Lord so dearly that I will make sacrifices and set something aside. I just love the pattern of life that that Mm -hmm. shows me. Yeah, and and doesn't it make you want to just ask ask yourself, what sacrifices am I willing to make? And what will I set aside to follow? Someone who takes their servantship, what do you call their servanthood, their servant, uh, whatever that word. servantship. Their servantship. So seriously, that it makes me want to be like, I need to be more humble and more careful with the words that come my way and and remember um, that these are men who have set aside great dreams to just share God's word. Yeah. And and I and and you know you read this and you have one side of it that says people are saying prophesy not we don't even want to hear from you anymore. And it's interesting because the very existence of the prophets um, are a manifestation of God's caring heart, mm. right? I was talking to a missionary once just over email and, and he just said, nobody listens to us. I'm failing. I, no, nobody even wants me to be here. No one's listening to my message. And I just wrote back and said, your very presence in that city is evidence of God's love. You are a walking, talking mm. symbol of God's love. And and I love to look at anyone who's called, you know, to preach the good word as a, a, just a reminder of like God cares. Yeah. And so God calls to show that care. Yeah, that's so good. And 
it is interesting because in chapter five of Amos, it's so um, interesting to me in verse 10 when it says, they hate him that rebuketh in the gate and they abhor him that speaketh uprightly. And to think that um, how interesting it is that someone who is called of God and, and has devoted their life to serving him can be hated and abhorred. And that's just the reality. That's the reality of this time. And that's the reality of our time also. And I, I think it's just important to remember that. Like there will be people who follow uh, the man who is called of God to deliver his words on earth. There will be people who follow and there will also be people who hate him. And that's just true. That's true about living and life. It makes me think about when Moroni came to Joseph Smith's bedroom when Mm -hmm. he was 17 and said to him, your name will be known for good and for evil throughout this whole world. And, and I, and Amos, someone could have said the same thing, you know, to Amos also. And I think this is cool that we're spending time in Amos's book. Hopefully he's looking down and he's like, oh, some people liked my stuff. That's, (laughs) that makes me feel good. And and this line where it says they hated him and abhorred him to, to speak uprightly can, you know, if, if you ever, um, have a contact or anyone with anyone who's called to, to speak or anyone who's called to, you know, to be a prophet, would you pass on our, um, our love for them. This verse says, we hate you. And we would just like to say, we love you mm-hmm. and, and we sustain you. And we appreciate the gift that you're giving. And the great sacrifice. And I love that of one of the you things- and your family and anyone, anyone yeah. who's had to not have grandma or grandpa there for something. Yeah. We, we want to and, say thank you. And who you. carries that burden. burden. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I love about the book of Amos is it really helps us to understand what the role of a prophet is. I love when it when it starts and says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he will reveal his secret unto his servants, the prophet. And in Amos, it is laid out clearly, what is the role of a prophetic messenger? Um, what should they be doing and what should we be watching for? And What are the secrets? Yep, yeah. and we pulled out... Um, Four jobs that we just see clearly manifest in um, the book of Amos. The job of a prophet is to help us see the problem with where we're living right now. Uh, It's to alert us to the consequence that is going to come as a result of our actions right now. It's also to give counsel to say, here's a, a way to like overcome this where you are. And I love what Elder Bednar taught us many years ago, that counsel will always come with a promise or a blessing. So you could do this with every general conference talk. Um, You'll be able to look for what is the problem and the consequence of that. What is the counsel and what is the promise? Um, It just is a a common pattern. And we're going to watch it happen in Amos. We'll just run through it quickly so you can see what that might look like. But then it's good to be watching for that um, as we go through. So the problem, he's going to lay out clearly for us. Um, Part of it is found in 6, and the other part is in 7. There's actually a lot of chapters uh, and verses. But we're just going to pull two of them out so you can watch what happens. Um, One of them is, I'm going to start with the plumb line, and then I will go to chapter 6. So we're going to go to chapter 7. And I love when he says, Amos, if you came with me and you stood and the Lord stood at a wall 
with a plumb line. And if you've never used a plumb line before, it's just as this line and hanging from it is a heavy weight. And when you hang it, like if you were to hold it up, its job is to hang straight down because of the weight. And so he said, the Lord went this and This is stood in 7-7. Um, 7-7. Seven, seven. Seven, yeah. seven, seven. The Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his head. And he said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. And then he said, okay. And, and he showed him, this is how a plumb line works. Like this wall was supposed to be made with the plumb line. And if I hold the plumb line against it, I can see if it was done right, right? Now the worry if it's not done right, if the wall was not plumb and you held that plumb line up, the worry is that it will collapse eventually. Pause. Is that what you say? The wall is plumb? Yeah. Did you not know that? That means the wall is straight? Yeah. What? <laughs> Everyone who is a contractor write in the comments that that is a true word. I believe you, but I just have never. <laughs> yeah. Is it plumb? Is, is it, it plumb? straight? Is it straight? Yes. <laughs> That's true. Awesome. What was that other word you had never heard before? Now there's two this year that you Banana. Were... No, it was something else. It had to do with um, my oh, story. I was derelict. Reading. Derelict. And plum. <laughs> Look, you've learned two good words you can use for the rest okay, of your I'm life. Okay, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So um, if the wall is not plum, if it is not um, constructed correctly, the worry is it will collapse. Yeah. That's what's going to, it will eventually collapse on itself. That's what's going to happen. And so he says to Amos, I'm going to set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. And I can imagine if you're Amos thinking, that's actually not going to go well. Mm. Like, I don't know if we are straight. I don't know if we're living up to the standard um, and in essence, what the Lord is saying is, what I foresee is this collapse coming. Yeah. And he says it a different way in chapter six. And, and I love this and I really imagery. Love, and I love that analogy of, of seven of that plumb line is just to say like, listen, walls that are built crooked, they fall. Yeah. Like I'm not measuring this to like point out faults. I'm measuring this to like try and prevent a catastrophe right here happening and so i really love the idea of just like i'm just holding this up not to like for some arbitrary measure but to say like if things are not built if lives and societies are not built according to this they collapse they they crumble and it's just true and you love when it's a plumb line because i'll tell you what a plumb line plumb line will not lie it just is true there's there's no emotion in it whether you are or aren't you just the plumb line knows yeah. if you are. And I like that he kind of takes that out of like, don't like, don't try and justify or rationalize. You cannot rationalize whether or not a wall is plumb. You can't. Right. It just is or it isn't. And I like that he's saying that, that like, this is what you've got to be thinking about. This is what the people need to be thinking about right now. I love too this imagery that's in chapter six, verse one, um, because he's going to say this line that is so interesting and I can remember hearing a professor at BYU teach this to me, and he talked about being in the army and how one of the things that is true about the army is when a general walks into that situation, the men will stand at attention. And we know what that means. Like everyone who's listening probably knows what that means. You stand to attention. You're 
you stand up straight, your shoulders are back. You're, if you have a gun, you know exactly where your gun's supposed to be. Your feet are a certain way apart. How many movies have you seen where they tell them to stand at attention and then the general looks at every person to see if he's a match, yeah. you know, if, if he's doing it right. And then he gives the instructions for the battle or whatever they're about to engage in. And when the general is done, then somebody who's there will say, at ease. And then you can relax in that moment. And I think it's so interesting when he says in chapter six, verse one, woe to them that are at ease in Zion. And to think about that same thing with that idea and the idea of that wall that isn't plumb anymore. um, What are we learning about having to live up to a standard or an expectation or um, it's something that will actually keep us safe yeah, and protected. And so I love that he's like, here's the problem. Let me just tell you what the problem is. And, and he gives it in a visual way, which we love because we're such visual learners that you could see, okay, I, can, I actually can see now what the problem is. And then he says, here's going to be the consequence of that. And there's a lot of like imagery here too with this one. So the first one, this one in seven one, you'll see that it says the Lord showed him to be and he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the ladder growth, right when the plant started to come up. Um and it says they came and they ate all the the they ate all the grass up, you know, and, and then there was nothing that was left. And he's gonna say, and then you saw an image uh, of a fire that just kind of burned up all the the ground and, and everything. And you have to remember in, a, in an agricultural society, this is ultimate catastrophe. This is ultimate, like we've been totally. Yeah. Yeah. If grasshoppers come, if locusts come. We're yeah, in total desperation. Yeah. Right. And so he's giving this imagery of, 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 of being without and of being, and, and you would notice, you would notice, you would know the day that there was no more food in the grocery store. Like it would like impact everything. And um, I think there's a physical manifestation to that, but then you're mm. going to see a spiritual one right over here in 8.11, where he says to them, um, behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread or thirst for water, but hearing the words of the Lord. And it's interesting that he compares it to a famine because he says, you will actually notice if there's an absence of bread and water in this land, like yeah. it will impact every part of you. You also will notice if there is a if there is an absence of God in this place. Like it will impact every part of you. And he says, that is what's happening. That is that is the the problem. And yeah. and along, I mean the consequence. Like you'll yeah, the feel consequence. It. And I love the one other one that's there is in verse uh in chapter four. And I'm gonna take you here just for anyone who wants to be watching for that former and latter rain that we talked about in the first two books. It's something they're going to come around and around to. And he tells them, if you don't return unto me, in verse verse 6 of chapter 4, if you don't return unto me, I will withhold the rain from you. Um, And you know how I will cause it to rain here. I will cause it to rain here. And and then you will go there and um, to the place where it's raining because you don't have what you need where you are. But then that's not going to have rain. And that's not going to have rain. And he talks about you won't be satisfied. And um, in the end, you won't have that harvest. You won't have that abundance if he holds back that rain, the early rain and the latter rain. And what um, 
What he starts suggesting to them is the counsel. And he starts in four. He's going to say, this is my counsel. Return to me. Yeah. Like, this is all you have to do is just return to me. And that will start to solve this problem for you. That's a phrase you might want to like um, highlight all throughout chapter four. You're going to see it show up so many yeah, different times. Yeah, it's in times. six, in eight, in nine, um, in 11. Yeah, 10, 11. Where he just goes through and he just says, you, ha- you just all these things have happened. You're noticing the symptoms of it and you haven't returned. Troubles have come into your life. Maybe some of them allowed or caused by God to like wake you up. Um, to get you at attention mm. and you haven't returned, you know? If they'd put that plumb line against the wall when it was only a foot high, they would have noticed, oh, we're a little bit off. Let's make an adjustment here. Yeah. And like, and the Lord keeps sending and sending and sending. And eventually, like, it's going to be too crooked to be able to, like, withhold itself and everything's going to have to collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, it leads right into the council because he's saying you weren't, you wouldn't return to me. And so embedded in that, it's like, okay, so the counsel must be then be at attention and return to me. And the way it's spoken. And I think it's so interesting as you talk about that, like in scripture right here in Amos, it tells us, woe unto them that are at ease in Zion. And what is the phrase that we hear over and over again in every book of scripture? Stand, Yeah. right? Stand in holy places. The opposite of being at ease in Zion would be to stand in holy places. And and that's what he's almost saying. Like, where are you going to find me? In the holy places. That's where you're going to find me. Yeah. Here's a couple of verses in five that are the council where he says in four, I love this. Seek ye me and ye shall live. I, I mm. love that. A verse like that, that we talk about this sometimes that eternal life is sometimes taught as a future event. And the Lord teaches it as a present experience. Mm. Like there's some aspect to it that's future for sure. But he says, seek me today and start experiencing life. That's the opposite of famine. That's the opposite of lack. Seek me and you shall live. Verse six, seek the Lord and you shall live. I love verse eight so much because remember when Pharaoh asked Moses the question, who's the Lord that I should obey his voice? You know, he's just like, the Lord says, let my people go. And now Amos is saying, seek the Lord. And there could be people who are just like, who's that? Why should I seek for him? You know, and he says in eight, seek him that maketh the seven stars in Orion. Like seek the one who hung the stars in the sky, who turns the shadow of death into the morning, who makes the day dark with night, who calls forth the waters of the sea and pours them. That's who the Lord is. Seek him. Seek that one who rescued you from Israel. Seek that one who protected you from your enemies. As modern Christians, like we said last week, we can say, seek the Lord Mm. who went to the cross for you. Like he's explaining who he is. Seek good in verse 14 and not evil that you may live. Hate the evil and love the good and experience the gracious life that can flow into you. And I think it's interesting because what is going to happen, and we know what is going to happen already, is a great destruction will come, a huge um, famine in the land, right? That is what's going to happen. But with this council, there comes a promise, and that promise is found in chapter 9 of this book. Um, Because he tells them, 
justice will come. That is what's going to happen in verse 8 of chapter 9. He says, I will destroy the sinful kingdom from off the face of the earth. Like there's no holding back in the judgment that is about to come. And and sometimes that's hard for us to reconcile. We're like, well, wait, you were just telling me about the God who hung the stars and the God who stretched wide his arms. And then now I'm reading about this God in verse 8 that is like going to destroy the sinful kingdom from off the face of the earth. And it's sometimes it's hard to understand where judgment fits into a story and why judgment would fit into a story. And we've talked about this before. Yeah, maybe before you read that, let's just say one, two, and then make that yeah. three because it's okay. the best. One would be um, for the oppressed, that judgment is actually welcome news, mm. right? It's a judgment against evil. It's a judgment against oppression. It's yeah. a judgment against violence. It's like, I will not have this on my good earth anymore. Mm. And when you've been the oppressed, you actually, that is welcome you know, to have something like that. Number two would be sometimes when the Lord says, um, my judgment, it's actually a, I will let, I will allow, allow you to, you know, turn into chaos, right? I'll I'll let, I'll let that happen for you. Yeah, I'll try to prevent it. Yeah. I will send a prophet, but if you reject every way that I'm trying to prevent the consequence, I will allow yeah. The consequence to come. So, I mean, I think, and when is it one and when is it the other? I don't know. Sometimes it's speaking a little bit poetically where he says, I will destroy, meaning like, I'm going to let you destroy <laughs> yourselves, like yeah. let nature take its course. But I also do want a God who steps in um, to answer oppression yes. and to answer injustice. hatred and injustice and mm-hmm. anger. Like I want him to like, not just let it happen sometimes, but actually step in but yep. whatever it is this third thing yeah here we about love it this is so and we, good and we've read it to you um before it comes from the esv in amos and it says this god's ultimate purpose in judgment is never destruction it is always restoration it's almost as if he's like i i've got to knock this down in order to rebuild that's the only way i'm going to be able to um to write what is wrong here? And you think about a wall, like when you were like, when you had said that imagery of if you had only a foot up noticed that it wasn't plumb, you could have righted it. And I honestly think I've never built a wall. I have watched people build walls. I think that requires tearing it all down and starting again in order to write it. I don't know if that's right or not, but it makes me think that there are some times when you have to let it crumble down mm-hmm. before you can start that restoration process of getting it right. Yeah, like remember that story? It just made me think of that story from when the early um, saints, the early Latter-day Saints were building the Salt Lake Temple and they built it for 10 years on the wrong yes. kind of foundation that was cracking. And remember Brigham Young goes there and he looks at it and he's just like, oh. People have like slaved over this and they've sw- like, oh my gosh. And and the advice from the architect was, it will never, this will never hold a limestone temple. So if you wanted to stand, you actually have to tear all that down. And you might've been an outside observer and saw that and Brigham Young says, tear it down. And you thought, what a vicious man for him to give that, you know, command. Like it would have been seen as an act of, viciousness and when re- when in reality it was like if we wanted to become 
what it was destined to become, we have to do it right. Yeah. You know, and so you you get that imagery here, which yeah. is, and I love yeah, this. So I love this. And you have to read nine. You ha- After eight chapters of mm-hmm. like, oh, yes. you have to read nine in the promise in 11. In that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David that was fallen. I'll build it again. I'll close up the breaches, right? And he says, the days come in 13. I love this, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him that soweth seed. Meaning, remember, it was famine, but now he's just like, the the crops will grow so abundantly that the plowman is going to overtake the reaper. It'll grow that fast. It'll be that um, abundant and everything. The waste cities will be built up in 14. The vineyards Wait, will be back. Best, you missed the best part. The mountains shall drop sweet wine and all the hills shall melt. I love that part. There's just... So much abundance, it can't even be held. And I then forgot go, that and you then were go, a wine bibber. <laughs> and I like how much you love wine. <laughs> I forgot about that part. Now um, you say the rest. Right? And out, I love this. I'll bring again the captivity of my people of Israel to build their places. I love this line 15. I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up from their land, which I have given them. This Remember, they've been kicked out and taken away. Mm-hmm. And... This is just a reference to those promises I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob of a promised land. I'm going to fulfill them. And they're uh, going to need to hold on to them because we remember what happens on the timeline. It would be fun to show it, actually. Yeah, yeah. Because he's prophesying right here, right? Um, he's right after Elisha and Elisha, the kings, the chronicles. Assyria has not come yet. He's at the beginning of this Assyrian invasion. And what is going to happen is they're not going to have their land right? These 10 tribes will be scattered. They're going to be gone. So this Amos 9 prophecy is something they're still holding onto. Is God going to fulfill that promise? Is that going to come true? And for anyone who was listening down here, the same thing, they will end up going into captivity. That same promise he's talking about in 9, that restoration, that's not going to happen for a long time. Yeah, and it just made me think how cool it is that a couple of weeks ago I sat um, in a patriarch's home mm. with Jack and Christian, who both got their patriarchal blessings. And Manasseh was one of the tribes of those ten tribes that were scattered and and spread. Yeah. And to sit there and hear him say, "You're from the tribe of Manasseh," like you're back, and now the promises are beginning to be fulfilled again is so you. thrilling yeah yeah it's so thrilling it's so thrilling to it's watch so it happen awesome. amos um, loves that he loves watching yeah. patriarchal blessings yes. happen, like looking down yeah and, seeing and, and there's his prophecy being fulfilled. being fulfilled oh remember we wanted to tie each of these um prophets to a modern prophet that you might use in a lesson to kind of show something similar yeah. to what they're teaching and the one prop the one talk from this last general conference we want to tie to amos is Elder Anderson's talk called Drawing Close, Drawing Closer to the Savior. And I love what you said about you can go through this and watch this in a talk. And that might be cool to bring out a talk and say, can you identify a problem, yeah. a consequence, a counsel, and a, and a promise in here? And uh, we just want to show you one part of from that that shows it. Um, in the talk, he says this, we realize as evil increases in the world, our spiritual survival and the spiritual survival of those we love will require that we more fully nurture, fortify, and strengthen the roots of our faith in Jesus Christ. And um, he's already in the earlier talk talked about, like, well, you saw it right there. Mm-hmm. There's a problem. 
And yeah. this is the counsel to do this. And then um, some of the counsel that he gives in the talk. Yeah, we love this part. Is he's gonna he's gonna tell us four things that would help that would be the counsel for our day, which is immerse yourself in the life of Jesus, make covenants with the Lord, safeguard the gift of the Holy Ghost. Which I just I love that one. I love that thought of safeguard because it makes me feel like we live in a time where um, having that gift, accessing that gift, harnessing that gift is not going to be as easy as it used to be. Mm. And to safeguard the ability to hear him. And, and that then, would be such a cool question to ask a class. Like I'm thinking about my 16-year-olds that I teach. Like, what would you safeguard? What would that look like to yes. safeguard the gift of the Holy Ghost? And, you know, and... Yeah, like in your real life. Right, Like, right. How, how do you safeguard that ability to harness the Spirit? Right. And what decisions are you having to make every day uh, that are helping that to happen. And it's so interesting to like also put that, you know, some of the, like the standards that we learn and some of the counsel, we should say, the counsel in the first strength of youth. Maybe we should just call it counsel instead of standards. Like mm. then you're, or standards is the plumb line, I guess, yes. right? Yeah. Where it's just like the counsel that's in there, you know, like the reason for the counsel is in some degrees to safeguard mm. the gift of that's the Holy so Ghost, yep. right? so true. Um, and then his fourth is to actually choose to be different than the world, which is exactly what Amos was yeah. telling them. We, ha- we have to be different. Elder Anderson might be Amos. In our day. Yeah, reincarnated. Yeah. Or the Holy Ghost is the same through all generations. It's <laughs> yeah. one of the two. Yep. Okay, the second book will be uh, a little quick run. It's the smallest book in the whole... Yeah, it's so tiny. Uh, ...Old Testament. Um, this is what's going on in Obadiah's story. And as you read it, you can, you can read, you can see it. It's directed toward a nation called Edom, right in the very first verse. And this was a neighboring country to um, Israel. And um, what you want to know about Edom is they are descendants of Esau. So the tribes of the kingdoms of Israel and Judah are both descendants of Jacob. And Edom, those people are descendants of Esau. You remember those two twins that were Isaac and Rebekah's boys, right? And so we're talking about brothers here. And he kind of calls out the people of Edom in the first half of this chapter. And, and he references a time when most people think it's when they, the southern kingdom was taken away um, by Babylon. And he says to them, they came in and they massacred them. And he says, and you didn't do anything about it. Um, in verse 11, he says, in the day that thou stoodest on the other side when the strangers were carried away captive and foreigners entered into the gates and they cast lots about everything in Jerusalem. You, you, you shouldn't have looked on the day of your brother in that day he became a stranger and you shouldn't have rejoiced over it happening because when they got kicked out, they were like, oh, awesome, now we can have their TV that they left <laughs> behind, you know? And he's just, he calls them out. For, the, sta- for yeah, holding still. For holding still when they should have done so. And then he also calls them out when he says, and, and, you, and you oppress them in your, in your own way also. But this is the way that you acted toward them and, and you, you should not have done that. And I'm super interested by this thought because we're so quick to point out the person who did the thing wrong and we don't often stop to think about those that stood by. And I'll never forget... Um, being in a junior high setting in a situation where something happened at lunch, a bullying incident that had taken place. And I remember my respect for the principal raised 
by like so much because it, when it was brought to his attention what happened, he didn't just call in the boys that had done the bullying. He mm. called in everybody who had watched it. Mm. And it was such a great lesson for me to realize um, that there there is something about not doing it. But if you stand by and allow it to happen, um, there is also blame there. And, and it's almost like it's he's teaching us this. You may not actively be doing the wrong thing, but if you're not actively doing the right thing in that moment, it's still wrong. Yeah, yeah. There's something really fascinating about this um, about this story because it's almost like for him to bring up this particular nation is two things. One, you rem- it almost calls back the struggle that happened between those two yeah. brothers. And there was selfishness and there was greed and there was trying to do things my own way yeah. that caused- And so much focus on the injustice that was being done to them. Like they could not let go of the injustice that had been done, right? you know, and they were going to hold it and they were going to lean into it and they were going to keep talking about it. And until finally it just separated them entirely from each other. The the one had to go 550 miles from the other brother because they couldn't get past how they had been wronged by the other. And they both had reasonable, like, Examples yeah, of how yeah. they had been wronged. Both both of them were right yeah. in where they had been wronged. Yeah. And I love that in this verse, one of the verses that we have here um, that we put kind of as like the scripture of Obadiah 17, he says, he talks about this is what happened. And because of this, the nation of Edom is going to collapse. He gives the reason for their collapse actually back in the book of Amos. So if you go back to Amos and you go to chapter one of Amos, he's talking to Edom. Remember when he was calling out all the different nations, one of them was Edom. And he says, he says this, because they delivered up the whole captivity to Edom, verse nine, and remembered not the brotherly covenant. He says, that is actually what's going to lead to the downfall of that nation. That is what leads to the collapse of their society is they remembered not the brotherly covenant. And I feel a little bit indicted by that. I feel him reaching through time and saying, do you want to know what collapses a society? Who And, and, and they'll say in Obadiah, we live up on the hills. We, we have really strong defenses. We have really good allies. There's no way that this nation is going to collapse. And he give all their, our allies, our location, our, our armies, our yeah, wise all men, reasons. all the reasons why we can't. And I love that Amos says, like, it will actually collapse from the inside out. You, because you feel like every, you're doing so good, it turns you against your, your brothers. And, and that is going to cause this. Um, the name of that place is Edom. Um, that sounds a lot like Adam because it comes from the same root word. And a lot of people think Obadiah is specifically choosing Edom to teach not just a lesson about Edom, but teach a lesson to all of the humanity, family. the whole family of God. He's like, the very thing that causes God to weep most, the very thing that will break your families and societies is brother fighting against brother, sister against 
sister and yeah. and and there is a call throughout time um to be someone different and that verse 17 says upon mount zion shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness in this place this was not a place to fight and battle against each other this is designed to be a place to battle for each other and i love that line when it says and the house of jacob shall possess their their possessions and um just to think about that more inclusive instead of exclusive it reminds me and we talked about this but let's just think about it again when we were in the book of genesis and after um jacob had left and then the lord was like it's time to go back and he was so scared he was so scared to go back there he was afraid and you remember he makes a big plan of what he's going to do and he's going to send gifts at the front. I'll send all these gifts before so he knows that what my heart is when I'm coming back. And he's got this huge group of people that's coming with him and all of his family and all of their possessions. And, and part of that is him saying, I will send this gift ahead. And you remember that it is the night before those two brothers meet up is when Jacob wrestles with the Lord. And he finally wrestles through, I'll just do what you say. So if you say, go back, I will go back. And whatever you say, that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. It is the night when Jacob says, I will let God prevail in my life, even though I don't know if this is the right thing or the right idea or, um, you know, and I'm scared. I'm scared of what's ahead of me, but I will let God prevail. And it's interesting that Jacob walks with a limp that next morning, it tells us mm. in the scriptures. And there's part of me that always wants to say this, does Esau, because we don't know Esau's story in that moment. We don't know what allows him to come back into that moment of reconciliation. Like we don't have his words, but he must have had a similar story because of what happens in that moment. And I like to think that there wasn't just one boy who wrestled with the Lord mm. on that night. Mm. I like to think that both of them did. And if you remember what happens is um, Esau comes and Jacob comes and they both are coming into the situation, not certain of what to expect from the situation. And they all get together. And finally, Esau says in Genesis 33, um, a, what meanest thou by all these drove which I met? And um, Jacob says to him, I sent all of this because all I want is to find grace in your eyes. That's, that's my whole intention. And I love Esau's reply, which is, I have enough. Mm. That was not how their story began. It began over a birthright and a blessing and a bowl of porridge, right? It was, I want what the other one has. And I love that Esau's first response is, I have enough. I, I already have enough. And then um, it's so interesting that Jacob says, no, I pray you, if I'm finding grace in your sight, please, will you take my present? I just want you to take this present um, because I have seen the face of God. So take my blessing because God has dealt graciously with me, he says to Esau, and I actually have enough. I have enough. And I love this thought, and I think there's something we could learn from it. Um, 
those of us who have experienced injustice in our life and those of us who feel like we don't have the resolution, that there is something about grace and being able to fully lean into grace that comes from that recognition or that realization, I have enough because the Lord has dealt graciously with me and because Mm -hmm. I know his grace so well, I'm actually able to give grace Mm. now in a way that I couldn't before. And I just think that some of what he's teaching here is that reconciliation. It's that this is what is meant for you is that the house of Jacob, remember Jacob's house now includes Esau because of that birthright blessing. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And in a chapter where he's teaching about Jacob, and Esau, and we see their names over and over in the book of Obadiah. I just love that thought of reconciliation, of that brotherly covenant he's trying to teach to us. That he's like, could you just get to the point instead of trying to get more? Instead of, I love when he's like, you shouldn't have taken joy out of watching Judah's destruction. Yeah, You, you shouldn't have taken joy in watching what they didn't get or what they didn't deserve or what didn't work out for them. But um, grace. Yeah. You should have given grace in and, that moment. Yeah, you, like what you're teaching is so powerful. I was just talking to someone about this yesterday, this idea of, you know that line, like hurt people hurt people? Mm. Well, then I thought, then that must mean that loved people love people. Yeah, and, and graced people grace right, people. Right, because instead of having your eye on the lack or the scarcity, put it on abundance. And the greatest mm. manifestation of abundance is the love and grace of God. Right, if I would turn upward and see how He is pouring out His abundance and grace and goodness on me, it's gonna that's gonna affect my side to side relationships, you know, so much more. And mm-hmm. and I love how this chapter ends, and it's a chapter that's familiar and and endearing to Latter Day Saint Christians. It's a rest. We we connect it to restoration, you know, and it says, "And saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of." of Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And um, in one sense, I, I love that it says saviors, but it only says that because the save, because the savior mm-hmm. came, now it like, it lights up in people the idea to be a savior to others. Yeah, Not to stand as a witness yeah, but, of right. him in their place, wherever their place is. And it's interesting because Obadiah, actually means, if you're wanting to write this into your journal, servant of the Lord. And that's what we become. Yeah, We become those servants with an emphasis on serve, on that brotherly covenant. Um, I think it's interesting to think about. I love when Mary Ellen Edmonds said so many years ago in a women's conference I was sitting at, that in times of great distress or tribulation or trial, Hopefully there is a covenant person within reach. And I can remember when she said that thinking, what does that even mean? Mm. I was super young at the time when I was listening and I was like, well, what is a covenant person? And why would you need a covenant person within reach is what my brain was thinking. And then um, I thought about that covenant we make in Mosiah 18. And in times of distress or tribulation or great trial, trial, Hopefully within reach, there is someone who will mourn with you and someone who will comfort you and someone who will bear that burden with you and someone who will stand 
in the place of the Savior with you in that moment of battle, whatever it is, that's a covenant person. And and I think to myself, I just, I want to surround myself with friends of the covenant. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about being of the covenant and being a chosen people. And that is not so much an identity as it is an invitation, Mm. right? To it's a commission. To be called a covenant people is a commission. It's not yes, a status. That's so good. Right? It is a, this is what it means. And this is where the healing of the family of Adam is going to come about, is through this reconciliation and restoration mm. of, of the brotherly covenant, yes. right? That the covenant is, be- it happens like this first. Yep. So that it can, it can happen, happen like side this. to side like and, this. And it has to, um, there is going to be a moment when you have to say, I know you were wronged. I know you have experienced injustice. Um, and I know some of it has been caused by my hand. But at some point, we both have to, to give each other grace in order to move forward in the covenant and say, but I have enough now. And And you know why I have enough? Because... Jesus fixed that yeah. in me. Yeah. And I know he will fix that in you. What I can never apologize for or fix or um, take care of for you, Jesus can do that for you because Jesus did that for me. And maybe that's how we become brothers in the covenant is because we see him instead of seeing the hurt. Mm, that's so awesome. That little book, actually, like I feel like we've just... Scratched the surface. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. so much to that that's, I think, really powerful and, yeah. and timely. Oh, and the talk we would tie to it. I'm so oh, sorry. Oh, yes, because you got to read this quote. Yes, this yes, quote yes. is so good. Um, we picked a um, prophetess for mm-hmm. this one, Sister Yi, and her talk, Beauty for Ashes. And she's, and there's so much in there. Like, you want to dive into that whole talk because she's going to talk about reconciliation and forgiveness and and, and what mending. It looks like. yes. yes, she's yeah. going to go into that in detail. But there's this one quote, and she uses the and she uses the story of Joseph. You know how mm. he was a great injustice happened to him, thrown into the pit and and ignored and accused falsely, and yeah. and how God mended that story. But here's this quote where she says, "To all within our influence, can we offer kindness for cruelty, love for hate, gentleness for abrasiveness, safety for distress, and peace?" for contention, to give what you've been denied is a powerful part of divine healing possible through faith in Jesus Christ. Oh. So that talk, she is Obadiah. Yes. <laughs> I think today. Yep. So, yep. all right. Hope you love these. Enjoy all that. We'll see you for two more next week. Jonah and the whale. I think whale. three. At some point we do three. <laughs> this audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.